Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the second episode of the Xander Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Xander Scullion, and welcome to this nerd culture podcast. We got a lot of topics to talk about today. IGN posting a freelance gig on Twitter, and the internet wasn't too happy, and I have a little rant to go with that as well. Also, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie review. I'm going to be talking about my thoughts of seeing that as well as watching The Batman. I finally got to see that on HBO Max. And before we get into the topics, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy this podcast on your podcatcher of your choice, be sure to rate the show, guys. This is a brand new podcast and any sort of support will definitely help the show. In the land of Twitter, Cat Bailey. Cat Bailey, I believe she's uh, the head like chief editor of IGN and I, I will say this about Kat Bailey uh she has a great RPG podcast Axe of the Blood God I'm telling you check it out with uh Kat Bailey Nadia Oxford uh they talk all about RPGs and I really like their discussions but uh putting all that aside uh she tweeted that IGN is looking for new freelancers to assist with a daily flow of stories and games entertainment tech and science $20 base paid per story, uh, sliding scale for heavier reporting, DM with an introduction portfolio for details. The, the, main, the main thing about this uh, tweet that a lot of people did not agree with is a lot of people are like, wow, IGN's going to pay you $20 to write an article? What the fuck? Well, okay. Well, we got to have a serious discussion here because when you really look at it, $20 per story at least IGN's pain, okay? This is this is going in a totally different direction, I, I know, but at least IGN is paying. There are too many artists out there or freelancers that get taken advantage of by people who are just trying to use their talents with, with no commissions whatsoever. I've been a victim of it. I think anyone who's been an artist has been a victim of it, and it sucks. It really, really sucks. So when I see, like, the $20 base pay i mean i'm like at least you're paying something at least they're not like hey write a story for us and you know you can add this to your linkedin or exposure i'll tell you right now never do anything just for exposure don't ever do that that is a, a sand trap because you know what when they share your work and they give you credit, which you're supposed to, even if they don't pay you, they have to give you credit of the work that you've done. You're going to have exposure that way. The only difference is they're cheap asses and they need to actually pay up and actually, you know, pay for your services. So, yeah, don't ever do anything that's just for exposure. But, you know, with that being said, uh, like I said, a lot of people were upset about it. I I don't write articles uh, for websites, so I don't know what the base pay would be. But, I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, I could write a page about a video game in, in like, 20 minutes and make $20. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, when, I, when you really think about it, it's not really that bad of a gig. And it's not like they're trying to hire you as an employee making $20 per article. You know, you're not just making commissions off your articles. You're a freelancer, so you're not tied to them. So that's pretty cool. So I'm pretty sure if you went full-time on IGN and you were, you know, someone who wrote about the entertainment side, uh, I'm pretty sure you would get a pretty sizable salary. At least I hope so. But then again, like I said, I think people are really just blowing this out of the water because it's IGN. And IGN is pretty much like the MTV of heavy metal, you know, uh, or music in general. 
Uh, musicians hate it in TV. Gamers hate IGN. It's a weird, weird paradox. And it kind of goes back to the first episode when I was talking about, uh, you know, YouTube burnout, YouTube politics, you know. Uh, do not feel ashamed when you want to make a hobby a side hustle or a possible full-time gig. Do not feel guilty about that. For some reason, there are people out there, okay, that turn their nose down on folks making money doing things they fucking enjoy. You know what? Not everyone wants to work a 9-to-5 job making someone else rich. Not everyone wants to do that. Some people want to actually do something and enjoy their life and make money while doing it. And I'm sorry, if you're one of those kind of people that want to do that and you haven't found that calling yet, quit fucking hating on the people that are. Like, stop caring about those people and care about yourself. Care about what you're doing. I see it way too much. People ranting that people are donating Super Chats and and Twitch and blah, blah, blah. Who gives a fuck? It's their money. They work just as much as we do. And if they want to give money to someone that they enjoy, that they're getting entertainment, sure, they may be watching someone playing a video game. Sure, they may be just watching someone just talking about entertainment. And in your opinion, there's no value to that. But you know what? The person that could be donating that money has their own reasons for it. And who gives a flying fuck? Because it's their money. It's not It's not uh, bringing down your your life. You know, I've never seen anyone be like, oh, wow, you know, I, I can't pay my light bill because Joe Schmo decided to donate some money to someone that was playing a fucking video game. That doesn't happen. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I had to rant on that a little bit because I see I see too many people that care too much about other people's bullshit. And it's it's astounding. And speaking of astounding, uh, I saw a movie this week it's been a long time since i've been to the movie theater and i I have to admit i i didn't mess it (laughs) i have to admit if this movie was a a, was also on stream i probably just would have watched it on stream i don't really like going to the movie theaters Uh, i don't like hearing other people munch on popcorn or having some stranger sit beside me and they're like breathing heavy it's just i don't know it's just too much personal space for theaters but I saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The interesting movie. It's not the Hedgehog 2. Uh, the reason why I say it's interesting is because we had to go all the way back uh, before COVID, before the pandemic with Sonic the Hedgehog, a movie that I think a lot of people didn't have really high expectations of, uh, especially with the first trailer. They actually had to, of course, uh, redesign Sonic. It just did not look good at all. And uh, the first movie was decent. It wasn't amazing. But it was, it was a pretty decent movie. But the second one, oh my gosh. The second one is what a sequel should be, okay? Uh, sequels should always theoretically build up from the from the predecessor. That's what makes it even better. And just from the beginning of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I would say that it's not just a tribute to uh, 90s movies in that beginning, but also uh, to Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey, I mean, it's hard to believe that this might be his last movie. He's been contemplating uh, retiring. And it's interesting to think that that would be his last uh, official movie. There's some nuances that Jim Carrey has. It's very Jim Carrey. 
And you see that with Dr. Eggman. You saw it with the first movie, and you see it more so in this one. I mean, he had remnants and performances of, you know, the Riddler, Ace Ventura, sometimes the overexpressionism of, like, the mask. There's just a certain style that Jim Carrey has that is Jim Carrey. And his personality really adapts well with Dr. Robotnik. Because, I mean, aside from, you know, Sonic Saturday AM, Robotnik's always been kind of a... uh, you know, an arrogant doofus, and Jim Carrey does a great job with that. This movie not only feels like it's got that 90s magic of uh, blockbuster summer movies, but also, I mean, it nods so well to the Sonic mythology and video game history that if it had a head, it would be rolling across the room right now. There are so many little Easter eggs that I feel like I could watch this movie a second time, and I would find little things like, oh, this makes you think of that. Like, the beginning in the city made me think of Sonic Adventure 2 and uh, that San Francisco kind of level. Uh, I saw little things like that, of course. You know, Dr. Eggman's, you know, giant machine. And, uh, man, of course, I'm getting into spoiler territory. So if you, if you haven't seen the movie yet, I'm about to totally spoil the hell out of it. But, you know, Knuckles. Let me just say, Knuckles is such a fun character. You know, he kind of has that naive, kind of thick-headed persona, but it's not too much. I mean, I would say that it's very Sonic Boom-ish. If you've watched Sonic Boom, uh, it's very similar to that Knuckles personality, but not... Uh, not as much as the Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom, is, he was he was just stupid. This one, he it's almost like he doesn't understand Earth, and it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Tails, you know, he's pretty much like a Sonic fanboy. Came from another galaxy, and they do a good job of introducing the new characters, but at the same time, not over-explaining their origin that it kind of takes away of the pacing of the movie because I've noticed this movie, with no pun intended, has a very fast pace to it. Uh, it's about, what, like maybe maybe almost two hours? Uh, it felt like the movie just zipped by because there's just enough action and dialogue that blends in really well. One of the things I always worry about these kind of movies when they have like a CG character in the real world is the human reaction, what kind of relationship it's going to be. And in that regard, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is a very coming-of-age coming story for Sonic. You know, he's still, you know, quote-unquote a kid, but, you know, he's wanting to grow up. He's wanting to, you know, become a hero. And the, his, his family, you know, the humans, uh, they have some parts in the movie that's, you know, it, it can be kind of funny. It's kind of cheesy. As a matter of fact, I feel like a lot of the cheese in the movie was from the uh, the human actors. And maybe that was a part of the, the charm. Uh, but I know a lot of people talked about the wedding scene in uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And, I mean, it was it was good. It was just... The, the acting was so, so hokey that it kind of took me out of the moment a little bit. Um, and especially right after seeing uh, the scene of the glaciers and, and the mountain ride. I mean, going from that to this hokey human interaction just really felt probably the most off-putting I felt in the movie. And I mean, th- that's just me kind of nitpicking. The movie kind of has a coming of age and also has, you know, a little bit more of a Sonic mythos. Uh, You know, we kind of saw that hinted in the first movie, but it feels a little bit more concrete, you know, with the the Longhorn Owl tribe against the Echidnas with the Master Emerald. That's how, you know, uh, Knuckles gets persuaded by Dr. Robotnik. Very Sonic 3. 
regards and kind of Easter egg with that because, you know, Knuckles kind of starts off as kind of a bad guy just because he's being misled. Of course, he finds out that, you know, Dr. Robotnik's for Dr. Robotnik. But, I mean, uh, Dr. Robotnik has no friends. The only person he has is a little henchman, uh, a Brista a henchman that's, you know, makes me think of almost like Smithers with uh, Mr. Burns, where it's, he's, he's such a henchman that he's so obsessed and he loves Dr. Robotnik. Like, he's almost got, like, a crush on him. He just idolizes it him. It really makes it go back, like I said, with that 90s flavor. That was uh, something you would see in a 90s movie. And even some of the pop culture references that are... It's what's going to worry me about the Mario movie, and I'll get into that. But pop culture references, as, as much as it would make it dated, it's still... It was still pretty good. It was tastefully done. It wasn't in your face. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 gave me the same feeling. And this, is the, this isn't a feeling I've had. and I haven't had this feeling in a long time. And people, people will hate on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze. People hate on it now. People talk about how bad a movie that is. They talk about Vanilla Ice. They talk about, you know, uh, Tonka and Razar. They talk about Kevin Nash being Super Shredder. Uh, you know, they talk about all those tropes and how it was a little more slapstick compared to the first one. And admittedly, you know, the first Ninja Turtles movie was really good. It was the perfect blend of comedy and, and dark and grittiness. But regardless, back then, when you saw Seeker of the Ooze, you were on such a high of Ninja Turtles. That when you saw Seeker of the Ooze, you were just, you know, celebrating another experience seeing this on the screen. And I didn't think I would have that with the Sonic the Hedgehog series. But seeing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 made me realize how much I really enjoyed the first one. And it, like I said, like a like a real sequel. I'm not saying the Seeker of the Ooze is a, is a re- real sequel, but... Like a real sequel, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 really elevates the series. And, I mean, I don't know if we'll get a third entry. Uh, that's that's going to be debatable, especially with, you know, Jim Carrey uh, kind of dangling retirement. Uh, trust me, I think if they offer him enough money, he'll probably uh, take it. He'll probably just bite into it. Because Jim Carrey is such a huge part of this series now that I don't think they could hire another person to play Dr. Eggman. Uh, you know, once you get that actor that gets that certain part and people identify that, I mean, there's really no turning back. The more I watch this movie, the more I start thinking about, you know, Nintendo's Super Mario movie that's supposed to be coming out, uh, you know, with Chris Pratt doing the voice of Mario and, uh, you know, Jack Black being Bowser. I mean, it's a, almost like a fan fiction uh, cast. For this Mario movie. And here's the thing. Uh, the big difference between Sonic and Mario. And what makes me worried. Is Sonic has story. Rather it's the cartoons. The comic books. Just his overall attitude. He's always had a personality. I mean from the beginning he was always like that little hedgehog with attitude. But they built upon that. But with Mario. Mario's always been kind of the um, the link between you know, us and Nintendo, you know, if, if Nintendo makes a new golf game, Mario is the one that introduced you to a golf game. Uh, Mario doesn't really have a whole lot of personality. I mean, aside from the cartoons and aside from the movie, uh, the cartoon and movie feels like it was inspired by Mario, but Mario himself, that series itself almost has no personality. So 
this makes me worried about the Super Mario movie because I'm hoping, you know, DreamWorks doesn't try to make this into, like, uh, you know, uh, a Minions kind of movie where it's just like they have, like, a bunch of pop culture references and, you know, the Toads doing the floss or, you know, uh, there's just so much they could be doing that I'm like, oh, I hope they don't do that. So I, Nintendo's got their work cut out for them because uh, as video game mascot sonic really has it nailed down i would probably say sonic the hedgehog 2 is probably my top five favorite video game movies uh right up there with movies like mortal Kombat, uh street fighter as bad as street fighter is i i absolutely love it and uh even uh, the super mario brothers movie i feel like the super mario brothers movie for what it is it was pretty good uh it's those movies have just kind of grown on me but Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is definitely, definitely a high contender. Really, really great job of, you know, adapting a video game to a, a movie universe. Speaking of uh, streaming services, I recently saw The Batman on HBO Max. And, man, I, I finally got to see it. I'm going to be talking about it. I will be talking about spoilers. Uh, matter of fact, Warner Brothers let out a huge spoiler uh, just a couple of weeks before the release on HBO Max that um, well, was was a really big deal. I'll be talking about towards the end of this review. But uh, my first initial thoughts, um, it's, it's really good. It's a different kind of Batman movie, and it's not for everyone, okay? Uh, first and foremost, uh, what I really like about it is it brought Batman back as the world's greatest detective. Uh, we had never seen... Batman on a movie solve a crime like he's doing in the Batman. We've seen him like put pieces together and figure out things that were happening, but not to this degree, not, you know, being at the investigation scene and you can sense the animosity with uh, the Batman and, you know, the Gotham police. They don't trust them. Commissioner Gordon's really trying to, you know, uh, bridge that gap between the police and Batman, and you really see that in some of those scenes, especially when he's, you know, having some of the crimes uh, dedicated to him, like with letters, like, to the Batman from the Riddler, you know? That sort of stuff was just, like, really, really cool. And it almost made me uh, have, like, a almost like a seven, like, Silence of the Lambs kind of vibe. This is not a Batman for kids. Uh, regardless that they sell the Batman action figures at Target, I saw those the other day, actually. Um, this isn't a movie that I would probably bring a kid to. Like, I, ha I have a nephew. He's, like, 10, and, I mean, he plays a lot of video games and stuff like that, but I'd, I'd still feel kind of uncomfortable with, like, my 10-year-old nephew watching the beginning scene to the Batman because it's pretty graphic. It, it really dances on the edge of having an R rating. If you wanted a dark and gritty Batman with some nuances to the animated series, uh, this is definitely the movie to watch. And, you know, Robert Pattinson did a great job playing a younger Batman. This is year two, by the way. I think he did a fantastic job. He did a lot of acting with his eyes. You could tell a lot of uncertainty or pain or anger or whatever emotion that he was trying to hide. You could see it through his eyes. And I thought that was very interesting for Batman, something you don't really see that often. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, I think his Bruce Wayne was a little weak. That's probably my only takeaway I would have for Robert Pattinson's Batman because, you know, Bruce Wayne is like the polar opposite of Batman. I think the Christopher Nolan trilogy did a great job with the Bruce Wayne and Batman persona. You know, uh, Bruce Wayne was a playboy billionaire. 
this Batman's very recluse. He doesn't come out that often, and when he does, he's he's very antisocial. And you know, for me, I think if anyone with any sort of brain cells in Gotham would be like, there's a billionaire hermit that doesn't come out often. And now there's a vigilante fighting crime, and this hermit's parents were killed by crime. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, it doesn't take a, a, a smart person to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman uh, in that regard. But it is a movie; you can't really dissect it too much. But I thought the Riddler was fantastic. I know there were some performances from the Riddler that some people thought it was cringe, like integration scene. Uh, some people didn't like that. They were like, oh, it was just really kind of cringe. But maybe it's just me looking more into it. But it's almost like he tries to have like this comedic kind of delivery during the interrogation scene. And I think what made that seem powerful for me was he is trying to project human emotion of joy and he doesn't have the same sort of receptors of that emotion so it comes off like off-putting and fake and it and for the viewer it seems cringy from first glance but when you really look down the psychology of the riddler you're just like okay wow this guy is really unhinged this guy's got a lot of issues and i thought that was really cool i thought for the riddler that was something a little different and it really showed that the Batman doesn't necessarily always need the Joker. A Batman movie doesn't need the Joker. And um, <laughs> we'll get into the Joker because he, he definitely makes an appearance in this movie. Another bad guy that I thought really stole the show was Colin Farrell's Penguin. Honestly, I feel like even though he didn't have much screen time, uh, I feel like every time he was on the screen, my eyes were like glued to his performance. He completely transformed. It was almost like Heath Ledger with the Joker. I know people are not, not going to say it, but it was just as mind-blowing and like, wow. Like, he was not Colin Farrell. He was Oswald Cobblepot. And I like the Penguin for the fact in this one he is back to being a, you know, uh, a B-list criminal. You know, he's not exactly top of the line in Gotham's, you know, crime circle. He's just trying to get by. But, you know, as things kind of progress with the Falcones and everything, uh, things started to develop very interesting. Zoe Kravitz playing Selena Kyle, I thought she did a great job. Uh, you could definitely see the chemistry between her and Robert. Uh, they had really good chemistry. And I, I even like the fact of the little, the little details, Catwoman. Uh, like her soundtrack was very, very nostalgic towards Michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal of Catwoman and Batman Returns. It has that whining kind of violin sound. And I was like, man, that's that's making me go back to the day, you know. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was such a fantastic Selena Kyle and Zoe Kravitz is definitely up there. I think she did a great job of, you know, trying to be a hero, but in a different way and that's something you really notice with batman himself is the company he surrounds himself by is a constant pull on who he is and what he wants to live for like what his code is because batman doesn't want to kill because he knows if he kills that's going to put him over the edge and make him just as bad as the crime that he's out there fighting and he sees that selena doesn't really have that sort of control so it's almost like he's mesmerized by it. It's almost like that kind of excites him. But at the same time, he's got to push away. 
So that's really the Batman and Catwoman relationship in a nutshell, that they're constantly attractive, but at the same time, they're so opposite that they push each other away. And I think the movie really did a good job capturing that. Now, the things I didn't like. I thought the movie was a little too long. I'll be honest. Um, I'm so glad that I watched this on HBO Max because it was almost a three-hour movie. And it's such a drone kind of detailed movie that it, it really kind of wears you out as a watcher. Sometimes I would watch it for an hour. I'd pause it, go off and eat something, maybe uh, go on Facebook and doom scroll on Twitter, and then I would come back to the movie. It's like I had to I had to leave Gotham City a couple times because it really does, like the Joker, uh, put you in sort of this like uncomfortable mood watching it. Um, it's kind of exciting because it shows that it's got really good storytelling. But honestly, I, I would say you have to be in the mood to watch the Batman. I really wish we could have seen a little bit more Alfred. I thought Andy Serkis played a fantastic Alfred. And I'll, I'll say this as well. Before I get into the Joker talk, because I, I know you guys are wondering about that. I'll say before you watch the Batman, go on Amazon and uh, download on Audible before the Batman. It's a uh, audiobook prequel to the Batman, and it kind of shines some more light on the Riddler, on why he hates Bruce Wayne as much as he does, and also dives in some of the shady things that the Wayne family uh, was known for in the Arkham family. So I think this is going to be a really interesting take, and I, I cannot wait to see this progress more in the story, because this ultimately... Is, is just another obstacle for Bruce Wayne to be a noble vigilante and not just be a psychopath like the like the people he's going up against. Because imagine avenging the the death of your parents, but also knowing that your parents were also not perfect. So that's a that's a very interesting character development that I would love to see in the in the continuation of the Batman because. Uh, as of now, there's definitely going to be a, a sequel, and this possibly could be a trilogy. The Joker does show up in the Batman. It's a brief scene. Uh, you know, the Riddler was already captured. He's in Arkham. This is before uh, the Riddler actually <laughs> floods Arkham. Like, Arkham becomes an island at this point. But, you know, Joker's in the other cell talking to him. And it's a very brief conversation, but very powerful. And it shows that... Batman and the Joker, if he's the Joker at this point, uh, they've already met. He's already been captured. So there's definitely some history there, and I would love to see that maybe dive a little bit more with the uh, Penguin miniseries that's coming out on HBO Max with Colin Farrell. Uh, even if it was just a brief scene, I, I still would love to see uh, the Joker as a failed comedian who goes and joins this robbery and falls into chemicals. The Killing Joke. Pretty much the origin of The Killing Joke would be great for this uh, Joker because he's very disfigured. From the pictures that we've seen and little clips, especially the deleted scene, kind of hints that he does have some disfigurement. So obviously he, he's, he's had to have fell into the acid unless he was just born that way. I mean, there's so many different origins to The Joker, so... I think that would be really cool, and uh, I would also like to see a little bit more on the history of Gotham. They really hinted a lot towards the Court of the Owls, uh, which is like an Illuminati organization that really runs Gotham, and I could see that being the, uh, the, the big bad 
in the trilogy, the finale of the Batman would be the Batman versus uh, Court of the Owls. I think that would be really cool. But it's really interesting. I, I hope they do a little bit more. And I hope, you know, I hope the next movie isn't as long, to be honest. Uh, that's I think that's really my only complaint. Other than that, the Batman was fantastic. It's probably one of my favorites. It's not my absolute favorite Batman. I still love Batman 89 and Batman uh, Mask of the Fa Phantasm. Those are probably my two favorites. Uh, overall, I really liked the movie. I would definitely recommend it for Batman fans, uh, especially old school Batman fans who grew up watching the animated series. You're going to kind of have that feeling. Uh, it's really interesting, and I think uh, the direction of this trilogy possibly could be a really powerful comic book movie that's very different than the Marvel Universe. Like I said, if you're watching this with, uh, you know, Marvel in mind, or if you're watching this with other Batman movies in mind, you're going to be disappointed. Go in this with an open mind and know that this is a different kind of Batman. This is more of a comic book uh, accurate Batman. Uh, I would suggest check out the Audible for Before the Batman and also read The Long Halloween. And you'll get, the, you'll get an idea of what to feel when you watch the Batman. And the last segment for the show, guys, is going to be our hotline. Uh, I posted on social media that the Xander Zone podcast does have a hotline. You can call and leave a message. That number is 910-317-0642. Uh, you can leave a message up to three minutes, I found out. Uh, but please uh, keep it short, keep it sweet. And uh, we do have a caller, so let's uh, listen to this. Hey, Xander. Hey, hey, buddy. It's me, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard from you in like a year. But, uh, yeah, I'm at the park right now. I'm playing my uh, Gotcha Man Hand Pro 3000. Got it for an excellent deal. I got it for like 300 bucks at the flea market. It's got every, every retro game made uh, by man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I was just calling to see how you were doing. And, um, and, and I, and I was just seeing how you were doing and I was just wanting to, you know, if you ever need a guest on the podcast, I'm, I'm here. Hold on one moment. Get away. Stop. Stop. I gotta let you go. These geese. Oh my God. Stop it. Wow. Um, yeah, that was that was Kevin Savage. I, I, I got a lot to talk about with this, guys. And again, if you want to be like Kevin and, and call in, uh, that number is going to be 910-317-0642. Uh, and, you know, I didn't want to talk about this on the podcast, Kevin. Um, I, yeah, I am sorry that I've been ghosting you, but I, I have good reasons to. I started ghosting you after what happened at Mission Barbecue. Um, I didn't want to talk about this on the podcast, but I know you're listening, and honestly, right now, I don't want to talk to you. Um, see, Kevin and I were shooting a video about the Sega CD, and uh, the video turned out really well, for the most part. Uh, there's a lot of editing that I have to do to that video, but we went to Mission Barbecue to eat, and the, the problem is, is Kevin, Kevin does not like emulation. Uh, he's a very pure retro gamer he plays a little bit of modern stuff too so he sees this guy uh while we're at the table waiting for our, our our meals he sees a guy playing super mario brothers 3 on his phone and i 
I try to tell Kevin, like, dude, just let it go, let it go. Just we're gonna eat, man. We just got done filming. This is gonna be a really important video. He taps the guy on the shoulder and says, "How are you playing that?" And the guy, of course, is like, "Man, I downloaded this NES emulator on my cell phone." Kevin proceeds to grab the guy's cell phone. He grabs the guy's cell phone, throws it across the restaurant. Now, mind you, this is right around COVID. This was like a year ago, so we had to wear a mask, and we're all social distancing. He takes his mask off and screams. I'm telling you, he screams a whole, like, three octaves higher than his normal talking voice. Like, I don't know how he got to this pitch, but he screams so loud. And he runs out of the store. And when he ran out of the store, he grabbed the trash can outside and threw trash in the parking lot. So, with that being said, Kevin, I'm sorry, man. Uh, you you got to get some help. You got to get some things worked out. Uh, until then, uh, I wish you the best. But I, I can't invite you on the show until you get some help. And by the way, that gotcha man that you're talking about, that's emulation, dude. That's a $20 Chinese knockoff that you spent $300. You really need to get your priorities straight. But yes, guys, the Xander Zone podcast hotline again is going to be 910-317-0642. And again, everyone, I want to thank you for uh, listening to another episode of the Xander Zone podcast. And again, uh, be sure to rate the podcast. This is a brand new podcast, so any sort of support is definitely going to help this show. And I want to thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week.